0: Hey, JSConf! You, what's happening? I'm really uh, I'm really happy to be here and to talk to you about a topic that is very close to my heart. Today, I want to talk with you about comics. And more specifically, I want to show you some of the great things that I found on the internet and how to create comics on the web, and also the learnings that I had when I tried to create my own, very own web comic, and how to make this comic actually accessible, not only for a few, not only for some, but actually for literally everyone. And this topic is so close to my heart because, as you might guess, and probably also as many of you here in the audience, I'm a great fan of comics myself. I can remember when I was young, I would go to the comic book store or maybe like to the corner shop and just like grab a magazine, sometimes even like hardcover comic books and try to learn more about like the stories and the adventures of my favourite protagonists and heroes. And I think most of you can actually relate to this. Probably everyone can relate to this, don't you think? I was thinking back then, when I was so enthusiastic about comics, it would be so cool to become a comic art myself. As you can see, things turned out a bit differently. I'm now working as a software engineer and building web applications and other things. But I still like to draw in my free time. And I was thinking, oh, like, maybe I can actually make it a hobby. Maybe I can make it like an activity that I just pursue in my after hours after work, and I can actually maybe create something. So I had a look what actually my options were. I remembered from back in the time that print comics, like the traditional medium of comics as we already know it, for centuries, in fact, is something that might be worth pursuing. And I looked what actually the challenges were that I had to overcome to do this. I realised there were actually a couple of them that came into my realm as a comic artist. First of all, I would actually have to find a way to publish myself or maybe find a publisher. couldn't actually get my work out. which seemed already kind of like a laborious process. And then, I also realised that when I actually want to make people aware of like, where my comic is and what it actually does, I also had to focus on like print-based marketing. Like, maybe I go to a fair or maybe I like, sit down somewhere like, for a six-inch around and actually try to tell people like, in person what this comic is about. And last but not least, probably I also would have to go through this maybe like month or year-long thing where I actually draw everything, hand it in to my publisher, and they edit it, and they correct it, and send it back, I have to re-edit it, until I actually publish my first comic. And this already seemed like a bit, but then I also looked on the other side, how does it actually look like challenge-wise for people who actually want to read my comic later on, how to actually readers of my comic, uh, interact with this, and what do they have to overcome. I realised that, first of all, they have to have physical access to the medium, so they actually have to go down to the bookstore, or at least they have to go to the door when the mail order arrives, uh, pick up their package at the post office. They also have to carry around the book and actually bring it with them. They cannot even just like, go out with like, a whole library of like, comics, they maybe take like, a book or two, and this is about it, because of portability concerns. But something that really struck me when I thought about it a little bit longer was something much more significant. In fact, I kind of like didn't really consider that there's this very kind of essential prerequisite that I have to fulfil when I actually read a printed comic, which is it actually requires me to have almost perfect vision. I actually require to be a sighted person to read a comic book from, I don't know, everything funny from Entenhausen, or read my Mickey Mouse magazine. And this is something that I found really odd to think about. I was like, oh, I didn't even consider this, because, yeah, I lived, like, as a sighted person all my life, so I never even bothered to think about it. And then after this, I was like, okay, but actually, are there options? Like, like how do you actually read comics when you are blind? or a visual impaired person, and I had a look on the internet, and I actually found a lot of like, interesting ideas of people who were already put into practice what I couldn't imagine even until this point. People who actually tried to expand out of the visual realm of comics into other fears of senses. One project I, for example, found like really interesting was some that tried to explore haptic senses and also audio senses, so people who might have never had the ability to actually read comics, but also those who might have lost their vision during the life of time can actually go back and actually read their favourite stories again as they used to. One of these projects, for example, is called Life, it's by Philip Meyer, and what he creates is a rail-like comic book which represents all of the illustrations and all of the narrative, in a very haptic manner, so you can explore every single frame of the story by using your hands and actually touching the material right in front of you to understand what is going on, and to understand where locally and spatially protagonists are currently in. Then also, Colonel Panic is an interesting webcomic that is written by Christopher Wright, and who makes an intentional effort to not only upload every single image of his comic strips onto his personal website, but also include right next to it a comic transcript that can actually be read by screen reader users once they browse a website. And I think the most inspiring project, in my opinion, has been Comics Empower, which is a comics bookstore created for the blind by Guy Hassan, which features several very popular comic books as well that are generated by a single person in a fashion that creates this illusion that. You actually reading the comic, you actually putting up the comic book and reading panel from panel the text, but also the sound like descriptions of any kind of noises. And I found this really cool. And uh, looking at this and actually trying to find out more about like, Guy actually did this to create this very immersive experience using audio narrated comics, I wanted to try something similar myself. And I really wanted to dive deeper into what you can actually do with audio. How can you actually untap the potential of like ordinary stories? And also, how can you make use of this quite easily on the web? I knew that screen readers actually were quite a straightforward approach because I knew so many web pages could actually already be read by screen readers if it was done right. So, I started out. In my day-to-day work, I actually work at a consulting firm that also specialises in helping clients with Ruby and Rails apps, but also Ember. And so, as this was all very very familiar for me, I was thinking, okay, it would be cool if it was like a JavaScript application with the Ember tech stack, because this is really familiar. And also, it actually helps me later on, because it's already a fully-fledged single-page application framework to scale my application easily. With co-released and code' maintained dependencies like um, data library, a testing solution, or also routing solution out of the box to make it for me easier to actually make this comic project long lived, because I could know that maybe two years from now, three years from now, this app actually still exists, and it should also work and still be maintainable and last but not least, I also thought. It would be so cool if it was like a proper JavaScript application because then I can actually add all this interactivity and interesting animations for a sighted user experience that might also be very immersive and interesting to explore. So looking at this approach that comics of power already provided, I wanted to also have a very similar user story for screen reader users for those that use assistive technologies to browse the webcomic. And I first of all want to write it in a better transcript. I couldn't really think about just like having the transcript right next to the page. I actually want to have an experience that would be similar to someone actually coming to the website and reading panel for panel. And I also wanted to include annotation for imagery, not only translate text, so people actually can get, like, an image of the scene. And last but not least, yeah, I actually wanted to create this illusion that there's this inner voice that you have in your head when you read something, and that's actually what's reading to you. I think it would be really cool to have it like audio narrated, to actually have like proper voice acting, but for this first version of this application, I really wanted to just have an approach to make it as easy and as developer as possible, and a screen reader approach seemed perfect for me. Storytelling that is screen reader driven, I realized was actually quite straightforward to implement once I actually took advantage of HTML and the powers of aria. In my application, for example, I have these single frames that you can see here on the left side. Uh, here, for example, you can see like a person on a boat. They're like on the sea, and you just also see a speech bubble saying "no" and also like a uh, sound word, just like saying "splash," right? And each of these images can also be contain several layers of images. So I can, for example, have a background image and a foreground image and all kinds of other text bubbles as well that are embedded in the single frame. And I knew that to actually make the whole scene be narrated as I would see it as a reader, I wanted to have one single one single description of it. I want to have one single tag or one single label for the screen reader to actually read. So I decided to make use of like art attributes or area labels in this case, and more specifically in this case with the area label and the image role in my application to actually make sure that everything that is told in this image is also available for the screen reader users. There's also a word of caution, though. You can use area labels when you want, if it's like very necessary, if you realize it really eases your development effort. But using area all over your place in your application over the use of using semantic HL can also be hard for screen readers to actually read. And therefore they should only be used sparingly. What you can also do if you know you just have one single image, just like use the um, alt attribute of the image tag, and then you're actually on the best way to actually implement this because browsers are actually built in a way to support this very straightforwardly with very good support. And one interesting thing I also found with building this webcomic was realising how powerful it actually is to embed text not only in an image, but in actual HTML, because once I actually do so, it becomes the screen readers, and it's available just by default. I don't have to do anything, I just put it there, and then it's already in my narrative. And so, Just like to get an impression what this actually sounds like, I hope you can try this out. I will um, also show you how I actually like to test this later on in my application to see what's actually happening. Uh, I like to use a specific screen reader called ChromeVox, it's like a yeah, free screen reader plugin you can install in Chrome, but if you for example, on Mac, you can also use VoiceOver. For Windows users, there's also NVDA, which is actually also quite popular screen reader in the blind community. So, they're different to choose from, it's just actually your tasting. I think any screen reader you get started with is already great for accessibility testing. So, let's see how it goes. So, is this is still a little bit uh, quiet, I think. Maybe uh, let's try just how it goes. Comics
1: for everyone. But can you already hear something? Screen reader-driven storytelling. Here
0: on the stage, it's a bit hard to tell. So now we are on my website and here I have like this iframe embedded. Um, just like so we can actually Click navigate here to the enter page. main navigation biomanius
1: okay, chapter one, there is a
0: and now with the actual screen reader we can navigate Diamanus. the page. And we can Internal for example skip from to. each interactive element to the next interactive element. Uh, for example, chapter also I have headings one. in my page. Heading two. That are also yeah, described by the screen reader. And most importantly, each single frame can actually be interacted with as well. And it can actually be read.
1: There is a person in a thick jacket sitting on a boat on the dark and stormy sea. Image.
0: I'm not a a, uh, recognized book author yet, but I'm getting there.
1: The boat is rocking while the waves splash against it. Image. Swoosh. Splash. (laughs) The waves continue shaking the boat, the person on the boat sitting in it motionless. Image.
0: And it's really cool to really see you can have each single element actually be read to you by the screen reader, and, and further, also text bubbles. The person bubbles on the boat is turning
1: appear. over their left shoulder; their face still unrecognizable in the dark and half covered with the hood of their jacket. Which way?
0: And I found this really impressive. This is something that just comes out of the box, and yeah, actually I don't have to do too much effort. HTML is already on my side, so this is really great. Uh, let's just like, switch down.: Extensions on. tab.: Let's get back to the presentation.: So Thank you.: Something I find like super striking every time I go onto Reddit or see like demonstrations of blind user vision pictures, how they actually interact with the web is, that the zoom feature is so. Yeah, so obligatory for an experience on the web for them. So being able to not only on your desktop but also on your handheld device to go in, tap in and actually zoom in with your two fingers is essential. What your scientists might have seen in some applications that you have wrote, I'm, yeah, I'm guilty of this myself, is something like this. So, this actually sets the maximum scale of the whole screen to one, meaning you cannot zoom anymore. And this is something you might sometimes implement because there's this user request, like every time when I tap into an input field, suddenly the whole page zooms and I cannot do anything anymore. And then you add this, and this issue is fixed. But what is also introduced is a major bug for anyone who has, like, a visual impairment and can barely see what is on the screen because things are too small or the images are a little bit too blurry, have too low contrast. So what is so essential for actually preserving this capability is being able to zoom and not provide this maximum scale. And I find this so important to note out to actually pay attention to making this possible. Font sizes should be legible. Use 60 pixel or larger, and you're actually already good to go. And also having like a rich contrast, having like favourably dark colour on like a light background is also preliminary for a great user experience for anyone who is visually impaired. And in my comic book, I was also thinking, oh, it would be so cool to have all these cool, fancy animations. So I want to have like, something that's really nice eye candy for anyone who is sighted and actually want to enjoy the experience. So, I was thinking, okay, like, is there anything I actually have to take care of? And in this instance, I actually remembered one very specific incident, which was later called the Pokemon shock incident. And this actually occurred, maybe some of you are actually too young to still know this, but um, it happened around like 20 years ago in 1997 in December in Japan. Where suddenly at like a certain time of like December the 17th, almost 700 children were admitted to the local hospitals. And everyone was surprised, was like, okay, what's going on? Because it was happening all over the country. the kids had like, all kinds of symptoms, like nausea or dizziness, some were unconscious, some even had seizures. And later on, it actually occurred to everyone that just like recently, a new episode of Pokemon has been aired on TV. It seemed there was a correlation, so the episode got taken down, like the agency who actually broadcasted the episode, went on an investigation to find out what was going on. And they actually came to the clue that there's one specific scene that might have been the cause of this very adverse effects in so many children all over the country who watched the episode. So in the episode, I won't show the scene, obviously, because it's not safe, but in this episode, there's one particular scene where you can see two different specific frames. So I'm just showing the frames, which is totally fine. So, first of all, the creators of the episode showed a very bright red frame right next to a very bright blue frame in very high frequency interchangeably for around six seconds. So this created a very strobe-like effect, and in people who have photosensitive epilepsy or those who are prone to seizures caused by strobe-like effects, this can actually have really adverse health uh, kind of effects. this is something that really taught me that it's so important to also watch out for this. And in regards to strobe light effects, I also realised that because so many people actually are out there um, who don't even know they have the condition because they're never exposed to any kind of lighting like that, the only safe measure that you can take for making sure that no one gets harmed is not to use any of these kind of strobe light effects at all. And this is also when i realized this is what i want to take care of and last but not least also to make sure that animations are not autoplay by default but can actually be set this way there are many other things that i as a developer can actually reassess before i can say okay this web application is really now accessible it's keyboard accessibility to actually make place for screen readers or users who only interact with the keyboard to go through the application. But also colour contrast, semantic HTML are so critical. Correct heading hierarchy to actually allow people who are not sighted to navigate the page and actually explore it in a very natural way. And also landmarks are one of these things. One other aspect I want to go into is page navigation about changes, because many of us are building these single-page applications or JavaScript applications that have their very custom routing solution, where a lot of things we don't get out of the box that we might have had with a server-rendered app. And in my application, this was also the case. like a user, for example, just navigated to another page, for example, like to a new chapter, they wouldn't get any feedback on their screen reader. Instead, it would just happen, they might further explore with the screen reader what's going on in the page, and then they would go like, I think I changed the page, but I'm not really sure, not really sure what actually happened. I actually found that in the ecosystem that I work in, there is an add-on, like a plugin that I can install in my Embedded application called Embassy Document Title, that, first of all, helps me to update the document title of an application every time the route changes. This is a pre-requirement for the other solution I wanted to also have on my application, which is called accessibility announcer, which is a simple component I can drop into my root application template and this component will then keep track of changes of the document, will observe this, and every time it actually does change, it will make sure that screen readers pick up on the paint change and can actually feed that back to the user. This is now Ember-specific, but. I'm very confident that in whatever ecosystem you are building an application, or be it like a vanilla JavaScript application, there's already a straightforward community solution for you there that you can also as easily install, and if there's not, I can also highly encourage you to start building one and maybe ask the community that you're building in it for help. And interestingly, just like getting into the details of how to make this app accessible, I also want to learn more about how, in general, we actually make apps accessible. In her very informative talk called Don't Break the Web, Melanie Sumner, for example, goes into detail how the app is actually not accessible to some audiences and what we can actually do to make it better. And I think the most striking number, or the most striking summary, I take a, took away from this talk, are the following numbers. So there has been this kind of survey, like this investigation of the Web AEM who actually explored the accessibility of one million home pages, and more specifically, of the one million most popular websites and their home pages, thinking that this is the very first page anyone sees, this is probably the page where you put most effort into that everyone can actually access this and further navigate from it, and also looking at the most popular ones to actually have an estimate of, okay, like, this is actually how people usually experience the web, because these are the most popular websites everyone visits. And if you now look at this pie chart, you can see there's this one number, which is like very large, it's like 97.8%, and the other one is at around, like, 2%. And Looking at accessibility, they want to find out okay, like how many of these web pages are actually functional and don't have any accessibility errors. It would be so great if you could say, okay, most of them are actually accessible, most of them are functional, especially like the most popular websites that probably put so much effort into actually making it functional for screen readers and all other kinds of assistive technology. But the truth today still is that... These 2.2% that we saw on the chart are the ones that actually work according to the web content accessibility guidelines. And the other striking amount of 98% of sites are accessibility-wise broken. And what does it mean, broken? Mostly, it's a colour contrast issue, so someone who's visually impaired might not even be able to actually read the text properly or explore elements on the first page of the website. It has a lot to do with like images that are actually informative but don't have like an alt attribute next to it. And also broken links or empty link tags that, for example, open up a model but actually don't lead anywhere. And as a screen reader user, you might actually want to navigate to a link like that, but once you actually hit it, you realize I'm not sure, I'm not getting feedback from the screen reader. So what's going on? And honestly. It's it's some kind of work, and we have to do something to actually prove the situation. There are things like XCore, for example, that we can install in our test suite to make it possible to actually automate the process of testing our applications for accessibility. But also other tools can help us to get like a better feeling for it. But most importantly, I think. We actually have to practice empathy, and we actually have to get like, a better understanding about what the experience for other people who are not as sighted as us, or not as like motor-skilled as us, actually experience the web. And therefore, I would like to encourage you to actually get a screen reader running, and actually do real manual accessibility testing. Because this is how I actually see it. Like if you had, like, for example, a bug, like a CSS-style bug on your website, and someone was like, oh, like, this is happening in Firefox, then you would also go like, wow. I'm going to reproduce this bug in Firefox, and when I've provided the fix, I'm actually going to check manually in Firefox as well if it actually works to make sure that it's actually functional again. And I think a similar mindset also applies to accessibility testing. Getting a screen reader, reproducing what the page actually does, and then, most importantly, if you're like a sighted programmer, actually unplug your screen. And actually see what is happening, how you can actually experience the website. See if actually elements are suddenly missing or gone and you cannot find them anymore. See if you are confused about where the content that you actually want to explore right now is. And then figure out what can I actually do to improve the situation. Because in the end, I believe, it's really about trying to create great things on the web. And this doesn't only include comics, this doesn't only include art. This includes so many other great things that we already built on the web. And I believe it would be such a great promise to the future if you can make it accessible to literally everyone. And with that said, thank you so much. I would also give a special thank you to Guy Hassan from Comics of Power, who helped me with uh, actually reviewing my web application just for free, which is great. And all these great other inspiring accessibility advocates like Lenin Watson, Mintel and Melanie Sumner, who speak so much accessibility. If you're interested in the topic, follow any of them. I can assure you, you will learn so much. And with that said, again, thank you so much.